Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Emperor Augustus rose from an auspicious beginning. He was born into the Roman Empire during extreme fighting, power struggles, murder, and violence. His uncle, Julius Caesar, did not have an heir to the throne, so he adopts um, Augustus as his own son. Almost immediately after his adoption, Augustus becomes the Roman emperor after Julius Caesar is murdered. He forms an alliance with Mark Anthony, who later marries Cleopatra, to bring peace and stability throughout the Roman Empire. This peace that the Romans promised was brought through violence and through war. And it is this narrative that many believe shapes the New Testament's vision about the kingdom of God. Gospel of Luke opens that in those days a decree came from Emperor Augustus that a census should be taken and taxes should be levied. The purpose of the census was to identify people who could be conscripted into war and taxes to pay for this army so that we can have more war for more peace. The emperor who promises peace is juxtapositioned against the incarnate word of God, Jesus, who brings peace, but not through violence. This Jesus is a victim of the violence that Emperor Augustus' world inflicts on the world for peace through his own death and crucifixion. One of the theologians and thinkers that has shaped my own imagination is Stanley Hauerwas, who says that his goal is to convince Christians that violence and war have already been abolished in Jesus. I don't want to convince Christians to work for the abolition of war, he says, but rather I want them to recognize that war has already been abolished in the cross of Jesus Christ. So I'm not asking Christians to create a world void of violence. The world has already been saved from violence and war. The question, he says, is how Christians can and should live in a world of war as a people who believe that war has been abolished through the resurrection of Jesus. One of my favorite stories that I have heard over my years as a pastor was um, from Carl Melnick. Now, Carl was stationed in Vietnam during the war, and he got to his room on the base, and it had been freshly painted, but some bug had gotten stuck on the wall in the paint, and the paint dried before the bug could get off. Now, if it had been me, I would have just taken my shoe and slapped the bug, killing it, getting a tissue, and cleaning it up. But not Carl. Carl worked to get that bug unstuck from the drying paint, working diligently so as not to break its leg in the process of trying to free it. He told me that when you have seen death in war, you know that death will not solve anything. 
recently read parts of a diary from a soldier in World War II. He reflected on killing another human being and the emotional scar that it left on him, a scar that was so deep he was never able to handle a gun without memories flooding it. Despite living in a world with so much violence, violence is the most unnatural of all human behavior. In the Genesis story, we find that our goal as humans is to live in peace with one another and with God. Violence is the result of the fall. It is, um, it, it is not something that is inherent to who we are. It's this image of the prophet Isaiah who, who prays for a day in which we will learn war no more. In Matthew 12, Jesus has a teaching that Satan cannot drive out Satan. In other words, Jesus tells us that violence cannot end violence. Violence creates, as Brad Jersak says, reservoirs of hatred that reap more violence. Hatred is a contagion. It acts like a virus and it spreads. This is why forgiveness as a Christian virtue is one that has to be practiced. Because the ways of the world are ways that disfigure us from God's ways. I know that it is unnatural for me to be quick with forgiveness. And I'm sure that the truth, same could be said maybe for you as well. But learning to every day find ways to forgive is so important when the day that it really matters. To the person who cut you off on the road, forgive them. When you get bad service at a restaurant and have horrible food, forgive them. If we do not practice forgiveness in small things, how could we ever practice forgiveness in big things? Last December in Paradise, Texas, Tanner Lynn Horner was charged with kidnapping and murder. A FedEx driver, Horner snatched seven-year-old Athena Strand, who was in the care of her stepmother. He kidnapped her while he delivered packages to their address. Her body was found two days later. There was a justifiable rage in the community in such a way that his trial could not possibly happen in that county. Athena's grandfather, Mark Strand, acknowledges his anguish and what he would want to do if he were allowed five minutes alone with his granddaughter's murder. But he issued a public declaration of forgiveness. This flesh, this man that I am, he says, is bitterly angry, but there's a gentle voice that continues to tell me I need to forgive him. If you stood that man before me right now, I would probably kill him. There's not an ounce of me that wants to do this or say this, but that there is a mercy in Jesus Christ even for him. Even for him or not for any of us, either we live by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, he says, and shed his blood, or we do not live at all. I don't want to say this. I don't want to do this. But my spirit has heard God's voice. So right now, I declare publicly that I forgive. And I will work on forgiving this man, this monster. I pray that by my public declaration, others will hold me accountable to my pledge. I do this to honor our Athena, who knew no hate. 
Quite understandably, Mark Strand's declaration of forgiveness offended and outraged members of the community and even his own family. When asked how he could possibly offer forgiveness to a man who does not deserve it, he replied, I have been hearing the Lord's promise of forgiveness of sins and the, un- and the justification my whole life. I think now I was being prepared. The Lord was preparing me to put that promise into action in just this terrible circumstance. The cross is not a symbol. The cross is a reality. When we make the cross a symbol, it ceases to be radical. The cross exposes the ridiculousness of violence, an eye for an eye. It exposes that our hatred, our violence, our judgment in the end are meaningless. Only God's grace is the thing that will endure. You might ask, by what authority does Jesus have to tell us that we must forgive? It's a question that finds its way throughout Matthew's gospel. By what authority? It's the authority of God who lowered himself taking the form of the slave, refusing to grasp power, and instead release. Each and every day, we have to find small ways in which to release, or we continue the cycle of anger, violence, and hatred. Sometimes it is the most unnatural thing in the world, and oddly enough, the most unjust thing to do to forgive someone. And yet, that's the very thing that we are called to do because it's what God has done in Jesus Christ for all of us. Amen.